The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, Lord. When Judas had left them, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him, him in himself, and God will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little while longer. I give you a new commandment, love one another. As I have loved you, so you also should love one another. This is how all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, at the 7.30 Mass, I got myself all confused because I wanted to read something from the first reading, and I was looking at the fourth Sunday, oh, and it was making, I was like, where is it, where is it? And so you always start to feel like your ears getting red and everything like that, and so now I know where it is. Um, so during the week, I know, I know a lot of you are not able to make it to Masses during the week, but we've been hearing, you know, every first reading instead of a reading from the Old Testament is from the Acts of the Apostles during that time of Easter. So we hear a lot from Barnabas and Paul and those companions that went with him. And one of the things about Barnabas that's so amazing is that his name translates as the son of encouragement. And so you see that he's sort of like the glue of a lot of the group here, and he's constantly encouraging people on during this. And so this, bar, this portion right here, it says, gosh, I almost did it again. I almost did it again. There we go. <laughs> they strengthened the spirits of the disciples and exhorted them to persevere in the faith, saying, it is necessary for us to undergo many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And so they're encouraging, exhorting people, but saying, also, remember, to inherit the kingdom of God, it's not going to be easy. You know, part of our lot in life is modeled by Christ on the cross. As he carried his cross, so he promises the cross to all those people that follow him. Not, not necessarily the most encouraging idea, but united in Christ, it can actually transform our life in such an amazing way. And so I've mentioned before, and this is one of my favorite quotes I really, really love. This is uh, actually, Janelle, you're here somewhere. So this will be repeat for Janelle a little bit because there was a retreat for the Life and Leadership Institute at Our Lady of Peace. Um, on, on Monday, I gave the opening talk. So there's a couple of these pieces are, that are from that opening talk. And um, so St. Paul VI said that people more readily listen to witnesses than they listen to teachers. But if they listen to teachers, it's because they're witnesses. It's one of my favorite, favorite quotes of his. And within the context of the document that he wrote it, it's, it's even more, um, more important than that. It has kind of more punch to it and stuff. So the important part about that aspect is that you'll see St. Paul often giving you his journey in Christianity. He's always, always pointing the way to Christ. But he's also pointing to his past weakness and difficulty and struggle to give you Christ, right? Because he understands, because we all understand often a story sometimes a little bit better than, than we understand just the teaching, right? Um, I was saying this at the, uh, at the conference. I said, you know, for, for young people, you can say a lot to them, and they may not listen to what you say, but they might listen to what you lived. 
And every once in a while, often you just change, you know, you can tell them a lot. Do this, do this, do that. You know, I'll teach you this. But then you're like, you know, when I was in high school, all of a sudden it's kind of like, you know, it's just like when the story begins, it, it grabs our ear a little bit more because it's your experience of maybe struggle or suffering or something that you experience. So I wanted to read this part to you from First Corinthians from St. Paul and some of his journeys. And so he starts out, the, the first language is a little confusing, but it'll kick in in high gear in a second. So, but what anyone dares to boast of, I am speaking in foolishness, I also dare. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I am talking like an insane person. I am still more with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, far worse beatings, and numerous brushes with death. Five times at the hands of the Jews I received 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I passed a night and a day on the deep, on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own race, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, through hunger and thirst, through frequent fastings, through cold and exposure. And part from these things, there is the daily pressure upon me of my anxiety for all the churches. That's a lot of things, right? A lot of sufferings. And then he's just like, and I'm also worried about the churches that I'm ministering to, right? You know, Paul tells us that all of these things, though, united in Christ, and, and also, more importantly, transformed in Christ, are a lot of, of the life on earth that we have to experience in suffering here to inherit eternal life. And that's what we hear in, in, the second, in the second reading today from Revelation, is that essentially everything here that is suffering and woe and tears is completely transformed in the reality of heaven, where none of those things exist. None of that long list and litany that St. Paul gave us will exist in heaven at all. And that's what we're looking forward to. You know, it says that St. Paul and, and elsewhere, he says, the sufferings of this present life are nothing compared to the glory that we receive, you know, in God, in heaven, in that reality there. One of the things I was thinking about is probably maybe the most common thread that I could think of when I thought about that list of suffering is probably a long night of darkness or a sleepless night. And, and there's probably everyone here has probably experienced that situation before. For me, a lot of that was really made real in some of these mountaineering trips that I had where it was like super cold and super windy and you're just like, how long is it going to be dark? You know, and you're, you're just waiting. You're like, I cannot wait until the sun rises. And, and gosh, nights like that just seem absolutely endless. Or if you could think a night where you're sick, you know, and, and you just cannot get any sleep, just how eternal a night like that feels like sometimes. It's brutally, brutally painful. I thought back, this is a good documentary, by the way, you can watch it on Disney Plus, but um, there's a documentary from National Geographic about the tomb of Jesus. For those who've been to the Holy Land and the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, what, what they call the Edicule, the little chapel built around Jesus's original rock-hewn 
tomb is there. And they're trying to restore it because it's just sort of falling apart after the, the, the chapel walls and stuff are falling apart. It's a very, very interesting documentary. But I, I, when I was in seminary, I had the chance to go to the Holy Land. And this is a little-known fact about that, that kind of trip. You're actually allowed, a very small number of people are allowed to spend the night in the Holy Sepulcher, in the, in the church, in, the, in the, the whole church. And I think it's like seven or eight people. It's some small number like that. But because the seminarians go on this pilgrimage every year, it's sort of passed down that you can do that. And so you contact, I forget, the Franciscans, and then you say you'd like to come, and you can sign up. And so the whole entire night, we're locked, you know, because those of you who know, they lock the doors on the outside, and you cannot get out. They lock the door from the outside. So you are in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre for the entire night. We were there over the Christmas time frame. It was so cold inside of that church, and every surface is stone of some sort. So even though we were sort of bundled up, no matter where you sit, it's just like all of the heat. I was more cold in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre than I have ever been on any mountain. And I just thought, Lord, is this ever going to end? And we actually, four of us were cramped inside the actual tomb. From those of you who know, there's that little door, like a little mouse hole door. We were there for three hours. We made kind of a holy, a holy hour, holy three hours, cramped inside of the tomb right there in front of where Jesus you know, originally lay. But that night seemed endless. But how appropriate to be in that place where Jesus was crucified, where they laid his body, and then where he was resurrected. That's an amazing, amazing reality because that night felt like it was never going to end for me. But how did we end that night? We started with Mass in the morning. So stayed there the whole night until we had Mass at 6 a.m. in the morning. And that's a glorious resurrection. It's a glorious transformation at that point in our life. And so it's hard sometimes for us to embrace the fact that there's going to be suffering in this life. My, my family, I've mentioned uh, on multiple occasions, that they all came through Ellis Island. Both sides of my family are, are Southern Italian and came through Ellis Island. And why'd they leave in the first place? Just like many of your families, why you came to this country in the first place is because there was great suffering, even in basic need. Um, finding proper housing, having enough food, having a job, all of those things were really difficult reality for those that went before me. So I said this yesterday when we talked about St. Matthias being chosen to replace that, that 12th slot of the apostles after Judas. We're standing on the shoulders of giants. We really are, but not, not just the giants in our faith, not just beatified saints and those of the apostles and all of those, all of those folks that pass this on to us through their suffering, through their difficulty but also through our own family members that gave you the faith. And it's often through their suffering that they really learned what love looks like. You know, again, one of those things I, 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 I repeat a lot is St. Thomas Aquinas' definition of love, which is to will the good of the other. When you've, when you've been through those dark nights and those difficulties and those sufferings, it, it's one of the things that actually enables us to reach out in love for another individual. And in fact, at those times, in our life, when we were maybe off track or we didn't know exactly what we were going to choose, it was probably somebody in your life 
that was able to show love in spite of everything that they've struggled with or suffered. It could be one of your grandparents. It could be your mother or your father or one of your siblings. But you're like, man, they bore the difficulty of being a person on this earth so well that you eventually say, I, like, that's who I want to be like. I, I really want to be like that person who is able to do this, who is able to persevere in the faith. That's so unbelievably inspiring because they didn't just teach you, tell you about the faith, but you actually saw it by the way that they lived their life. And so did other people. My dad used to talk about one of our neighbors in Brooklyn who went to daily mass. And when I was little, I, I didn't even know that existed, right? Like, I didn't know that there, like, was a daily mass. And, you know, little did I know I'd be celebrating them. Um, but, you know, at that point, my dad saw him as a real inspiration. This man gets up every morning, and he starts his day out with mass. And it's those realities that were like, oh, you'll know that they're Christians by the way that they love each other, by, by what they're doing to reach out for somebody. This is a simple example, but I've, I've mentioned it on occasion. I heard it from my, my dad's friend who leads this prayer group with my, my family. And he said, you know, you're walking through the grocery store. This is just a very normal example, right? And you see a can on the floor. And you know it's out of place, right? It shouldn't be on the floor. But you sort of walk by in your cart. But it's like, in the back of your mind, it's like, pick up the can, pick up the can. And you, you round the next aisle, and it's still like, pick up the can. And then you're like, you know, and you go back, and you know, you pick up the can, and you put it in its rightful place. And then, oddly, somebody sees you do that. And it might make them scratch their head for the rest of the day. Like, why did that person you know, pick up the can when I didn't pick up the can. It's amazing how little examples like that speak to us. But a rightly ordered soul understands that suffering is not for nothing. You know, it's so that we can be the Lord one day. As he embraces his cross, he asks us to embrace ours. So it's not worthless. But we realize sometimes once we've been given a lot in the material world, same thing that happened when, once my family members came here to the United States. Once their basic needs were met, and then you start to have things in abundance, the illusion can be, oh, I'm just fine. Everything that I need to take care of, I can take care of. And so that gives us the illusion that like with our own capabilities, our own resources, whatever, money or whatever it might be, like I can do anything that I need to do. But oh man, once we run smack into the face of suffering, we realize we can't take that stuff with us. That the only thing that we really take with us is a relationship that we built on this earth with our Lord Jesus Christ. And so again, you know, we receive him here at the altar so that he's in us. So that when we go out into the world, the way that we act amongst society, amongst our family, amongst our friends, people, that... that that light, what we receive, we're actually Christ to the world. And it's just absolutely emanating outward to other people in the world. Gosh, and if we could do that, that's how believers are made. It's by, it's by that witness. It's by our own sufferings. But like, man, that, that guy or gal has been through so much. Why are they so happy? Like, sometimes that blows people's mind. I, I think I mentioned one time my, my friend who is a nurse 
She's a very joyful person, very, very bubbly person, but she was there. And there was, there was a woman who was really suffering, really struggling. And all of the staff on that floor knew that she wasn't the, she was a tough customer, let's say. You know, she, she was kind of a little bit harsh around things. But my friend would come in there and help her out every day, every day, every day. And then eventually, she just looked at her one day and she said, why? Why are you always so happy? And she, she, it was a genuine question. And my, my friend doesn't pull any punches either. She just said, Jesus. That was her answer. Why, why are you so happy all the time with all of this stuff to do? Jesus. And I believe that had her mind reeling for who knows how long. That's why we're so happy. In the face of great difficulty and great sufferings like St. Paul, because the promises that are set out for us supersede absolutely every happiness that we've ever known here on earth. So if we see our Lord Jesus Christ and we can give him to other people, that's what being a witness is. That's what love is really all about, is to receive love and then give love to other people in the form of our Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you all.